Season two of Vital Advice for Your Everyday Life. I was not planning on taking such a long hiatus and then starting a new season, but mental health was important. Life changes needed to happen. And my job, because believe it or not, I don't actually make money off of this podcast, was taking priority. So now I have some time and it's spooky season. And so I'm going to get back into it and hopefully going to be consistent. (laughs) So... Adam Levine is a cheater. That's right. Have you guys been following that news? Yeah, because his mistress made this whole TikTok thing and everyone lost their fucking minds over the situation. And um, I was enjoying it, honestly. Like I was sitting with my popcorn (laughs) watching TikTok after TikTok as people were taking sides on someone else's affair. And I think I was probably one of the very few that was watching this from the perspective of someone uh, looking at it from the psychology angle of how people react to affairs. Not because like I do this all the time, like most of the time I react like normal human beings where it's like, oh my God, how could he do that? But in this case, I had just finished reading Esther Perel's The State of Affairs, Rethinking Infidelity, and my perspective now on affairs is completely different from what it was. And so I personally was just more using the knowledge that I got from that book and observing as people continued to just like drag this girl through the dirt. Like there were definitely some TikToks that were doing what I think is the more accurate reaction to people who are going to give a fuck about it is pointing at the person who is actually in the relationship, Adam Levine. (laughs) I digress. What I found fascinating is based on the information that I have gathered through listening to Esther Perel's book and listening to her podcast of real life adults going through couples therapy in regards to affairs is our brains are not equipped to naturally match what society expects us to do in reaction to affairs, in reaction to infidelity, even if it's not within a marriage. And it has been proven true just watching as so many different people have taken sides and have decided that someone needs to be a villain in this. But in actuality, when there's an affair, sorry, I'm getting a a snap from somebody. Uh, When there's an affair, There is no winner and there is no loser. There is no villain. There is no victor. It's very much not how we want it to be. We really do want to have someone be the reason why something didn't work. We want a mistress to be like this caricature of a villainess who is out to destroy marriages. And that's not how it works. That's not how our brains work and that's not how a mistress's mind works. So I'm going to talk about some of the absolute gems I've gotten from this book. And you might be thinking, why do I have such (laughs) a soft approach to this affair? And that is one thing that I don't want to completely give up to the book. Like the book is amazing and it is, I think, a book that every person on this planet should read. Honestly, but 
my soft approach to affairs and to infidelity is something I think I developed naturally and then just was validated through these works. And I don't look at people who engage in affairs as villains. I don't look at mistresses and think that they're homewreckers. I don't. Some people might have actually said this to me, and you might be thinking this yourself, is how could you... (laughs) How could you support someone who has ruined another woman's life? Like it's almost we we take on this idea that if you are not hating the other woman, that you're supporting the affair. Or if you're not completely like throwing a man out after he cheats on you, you are doing something shameful or you are soft or weak or somehow gullible. What I have learned is that my natural reaction to this through my past, because I have been cheated on and I'm going to maybe reveal that to you at the end of this episode, if I am in a good mental state to do that, (laughs) my reaction to learning that I was being cheated on was completely different than I think anyone expected me to have. And I had felt ashamed of my own reaction at the time. And I felt shamed by the people around me who watched my very compassionate approach and thought that I was being some way taking it, letting him get away with it or whatever they thought. And now that I've read this book, I'm so happy to know that I actually had a more healthy response to the affair then what's expected of us in society to do. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the book, though. This book, oh my God, like, just like with the Adam Levine situation, most affairs and infidelities become a very polarizing situation of you kind of take your own feelings into the situation, even if you're not in the affair. If a loved one is going through something like this, you usually take a side, right? Oh, and what's funny is like when you do take a side, it's your own insecurities flaring up when you do that. And like even with these TikToks I was watching, I was watching they would take situations like I would never let my man get away with that. If my man ever did that to me, he'd be out the door or I would I would like, I don't know, <laughs> be violent towards the mistress or I would call her out or she can have him like it. it took on a very personal response to someone else's affair. And that usually is what comes up. I want to point something out though. And I I think Esther Perel said this in one of her interviews and I found it very interesting that when you are taking your own feelings into the situation, you're taking a very narcissistic approach to the situation. I know we hate that word, that that uh, narcissistic word. It comes up and we feel somehow like we have to defend ourselves. Like, oh, I'm not a narcissist, I swear. Like, I'm not a psychopath. But it really, you can have narcissistic, you can have narcissistic traits and not be a narcissist. So this approach is a narcissistic one. And it, I find the a very interesting part of the dialogue that comes along with affairs yeah, that Esther Perel also points out is that we treat it like it is uncommon. We treat affairs, infidelities, mistresses, any type of 
boundary breaking with someone in an intimate way. We treat that like it is not normal when in fact it is one of the more common things that happens within human society. And that is kind of where the paradigm shifts in my head is why are we so violently reacting to these things and reacting to the person who commits them as if they're now evil when it's actually a very common thing that happens within our society and happens even when the person who is committing it was one of those people that said, I would never do that to my spouse. In fact, I think, yeah, in Esther Pearl's book and in most of her interviews, she reveals the fact that the majority of the people who have an affair within their relationships were once people who said they would never do that. They've seen how it ruins families. They they love their spouse so much that they would never do that. They would never, ever do it. But everyone has a breaking point. And that's kind of what I realized when we say these things that like, I would never do it. I would know better. If someone approached me in my DMs and I knew that they were married, I know better not to talk to him or to tell his wife on him or to tell him off. Like I I would know better. But in actuality, that situation may be sure you would know better, but there is a situation in reality that might approach you where you would be tempted and you might actually choose to cheat. Everyone, every human being on this planet, there's a situation where they would, including your spouse. So if you're one of those people that are saying my spouse would never, I think you might want to change that dialogue to what would it take for them to cheat? Because they have the same potential as every other human being on this planet to do that. So within the, the book, The State of Affairs, Esther Perel brings a more nuanced view for us as a society to bring into our discussions and our working through of infidelity, mostly because every human being on this planet, if you're a human being on this planet, will be touched in some way some way, <laughs> some way with infidelity, whether you were going to experience personally, you're going to be the one committing it or a loved one will go through it and you will be there as a support system for them through it. You will not leave this planet. You will not go into that, into that dank dirt without having been touched and affected by an affair at some point. So it is wise of us for us not to shun the idea and say it would never happen, but prepare and be conscious of how we treat the people involved. In fact, this book has revolutionized a lot of things that I didn't think to think about in regards to anything to do with relationships, like not just infidelity, but like what is intimacy? Like, can you define that in terms and can you point out when it is something that is not intimate? And is that something that is the same for everyone? And does it change by society? Does it change by culture? What is sex? What is trust within a relationship? What is commitment? What are boundaries? What is what is marriage even? What is monogamy? Any Everything that has been conditioned from us from a young age based on our own culture and society. And me, with my own values, I feel like this book broadens it and brings into focus the questions we need to be asking and the approaches we need to be shifting 
so that we're more balanced when we do face infidelity. And if we do face the question within our own minds of should I move forward with an affair? Because you might be approached with that. And honestly, isn't that so freeing? To change the dialogue from it would never happen. That that's that feeling of it would never is such an anxious feeling within my body. When people say that would never happen, I don't feel like I can fully trust that because I can't control what other people do. I can't control what my spouse does. I can't control how people approach my spouse and might entice them and might hit on some sort of need that maybe I'm not fulfilling at the time and I didn't know. Like there's so many different possibilities, so many different avenues that could be brought into life that saying never makes me anxious. It is so freeing to approach this with more of a full compass approach like it's more of like a road map instead of putting blinders on we look at the map and we're like okay I can see where everything could go there's so many different roads in life to not be tied to a set of ideals that humanity cannot live up to is so much more relaxing than trying to live up to a standard that humanity has constantly failed at time and time again I mean there's some other things in this book that I didn't even think to think about in terms to what if I run into someone who is going through this type of infidelity? Like, is it infidelity if your partner has Alzheimer's and cannot remember who you are anymore? Like, and you would like to have some sort of intimate relationship with someone and you meet someone, they, your spouse doesn't remember who you are. So is that, is it cheating? Does it count? I feel like that's a nuanced view to kind of bring into the conversation. Or have you set actual verbal boundaries with your partner that allows them to conduct themselves in a way that they know for sure where the boundaries are, where the line in the sand is, and make sure that your spouse is functioning within the type of monogamy that you are expecting from them because monogamy is a spectrum just like anything else and everyone walks into a monogamous relationship expecting their own monogamous ideals and boundaries to be already understood because society has set the idea that monogamy is monogamy but in actuality everyone has a different idea of what cheating is and if you're not expressing where your boundaries are they could cross it and they could offend you and hurt you deeply and they won't even know that it was something that they were capable of because their idea of what crossing a boundary is, is different from you. You don't date a carbon copy of yourself. You do not marry a carbon copy of yourself. It is a different person with a different upbringing, different background, different expectations, and definitely different definitions than you. So you need to be having this conversation so that you can understand, are they 100% monogamous or are they a little bit non-monogamous leaning? Do they understand my possible like if you have some sort of boundary with porn do you tell them or do you expect them to just not watch it okay what about the boundary within your relationship if they do self-pleasure is that something that for you is considered cheating some people in this listening to this podcast would think yes 100% that is cheating within my expectation because that's something that we're supposed to do together where there are other people who are like absolutely not that's your body that's your business that's why it's important to have this conversation because you might be married to the opposite person who thinks that it's fine or doesn't think that it's fine wouldn't you rather know 
Would you rather discuss it? This is something that as monogamous people, we don't do enough. Okay. Like, or, or like, there's another example given in the book of if you are having sex with your partner and they are visualizing someone else while they're having sex with you, is that cheating? To some people it is. There's a lot of people who get really, really upset about that and are hurt and heartbroken over it. But to their partner, it's normal and natural and it doesn't count to them. Have this conversation, please. If you're in a relationship with someone right now, have a conversation about where the boundaries are within trust and intimacy. I feel like if you're feeling in any way uneasy (laughs) within relationships in general, this is a quick way to set a really clear foundation that'll make you feel a lot less anxious about it. I mean, just imagine if everyone got off their high horse for a couple of seconds and looked around at the real human beings on this earth trying to make the best choices for their own needs and for their partner's needs. Look at the people who are navigating really hard traumatic shit from their past that they don't necessarily want to burden their partner with. Look around at the real people in this world who have made choices that weren't smart, but maybe they needed in that moment to validate their needs. Like we don't know they're like, we're not their therapists. We don't have their documents. Everyone has a story. And if we're off our hard, we're off our high horses and looking at these people. Sure, it would be frustrating. It would be heartbreaking to be watching them make these choices. But I don't think it needs to be damning. I don't think it needs to be condemning. I don't think we need to villainize these people for making human choices. Because there's a quote within the book that I'm sorry, I don't know who it said. like who was quoted in the book saying this but the quote was along the lines of monogamy may or may not be natural for human beings but infidelity sure is it is way more common than we are allowing ourselves to believe within monogamous relationships so let's look at it from a way more empathetic standpoint Everyone that's on TikTok right now who was just dragging both Adam Levine and all the girls that cheated through the dirt and just making his Victoria's Secret model wife, who, by the way, I think is a, it looks like a beautiful person. I don't know her personally, but I don't think she's an angel. I don't think she's a saint. And I don't think Adam Levine's the devil. I think both people had the potential to do this because they're both human beings. We don't need to be turning them into a villain. <clears throat> we... It's not as simple as we try to make it. It's not black and white. As most things in life aren't. (laughs) I mean, using the word homewrecker in and of itself, I think is just, wow, what a condemning word. What a damning word to use on a person who isn't unique by any means in terms of human experiences. Like, wow. (laughs) Like, let's make this clear. If infidelity, just like relationships, are natural for us, why don't we spend our time understanding it? Why are we not spending as much time as we spend learning how to have a better relationship as we do or as we should be doing with infidelity and what causes it? Like if you know the symptoms, you can treat it before it gets worse. A lot of the things that you can do to repair a relationship after infidelity has happened are things that prevent infidelity from being enticing to your partner. It doesn't completely like erase it, honestly. It depends on why the person has an affair. And that's also an interesting chapter in this book is it she breaks down 
the different reasons why people cheat because it's not always the same reason. It's not because they're selfish. Sometimes it is, but it's not always. Sometimes his needs aren't getting met. Sometimes they're in an abusive relationship. And let's be honest, if you're in an abusive relationship, they physically beat you. They're emotionally abusive. You do not feel like a human being in your own house. Is it really cheating to find someone who gives you that feeling of being human again outside of the relationship? I mean, like, who broke trust first? Just saying that you don't know. Okay? Broaden our minds for a minute. Let's learn about it. Better understand it. Stop using such condemning language towards these people that we don't know their experiences. In fact, I honestly looked at the experience with Adam Levine as a way to learn about how I might be able to help my own relationships. And everyone else that was making these videos and being like, oh, this bitch, she just wants clout because she wants to show off the fact that she got DMs from a celebrity. Like, how helpful is that for you in your day? To make fun of this girl's decisions. Like, how did that benefit you? Where are you going from this moment, from that? When you could have just looked at it and thought through the process of how you could have accepted that, how you could prevent that, how you could talk to your spouse and and see if they need more attention from you, whatever it is that they might be seeking out when they do those things or talk to them about their online use. Like there's so many different like pathways you can go with your head about your own life that you don't need to be sticking your nose and coming up with like stories about someone you'll never know. Because let's be honest, you're not so special. You're not so special that you will be able to avoid it at all times. You're not so special that you're you're going to literally cut off all emotions the second you find out someone's cheating on you being like, I'm better off. You're going to be hurt. It's going to hurt. So let's be prepared. There is a chapter in this book that I think everyone needs to read. Like based on the uh, what I watched on TikTok, everyone needs to read is the chapter on the other woman, the mistresses involved in these situations. Before, I feel like in general, in media, in my own personal life, The people who are the person on the outside of the relationship that are engaging in the affair are painted as these almost Jessica Rabbit caricatures in their evil lair trying to ruin your marriage. And they're like evil laughing, being like, ha 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 ha, I can take you on man if I want to. And I don't care about you or who I hurt in the process. That's how it's kind of painted. But in actuality, most mistresses are average women who don't like hurting other people don't like the fact that they're the cause of hurt and this is where it gets interesting but due to their own life their own past their own traumas they are able to rationalize it in their heads perhaps instead of looking at them as someone who knows what they're doing look at them as someone who doesn't know how to help themselves doesn't know how to rationalize through these type of situations and do it without hurting someone. You remember that episode where I talk about limerence, where you're able to create a, a fantasy in your head about the relationship and make it out to something that it's not? Very often, I feel like that's what mistresses do. 
they're able to rationalize, well, he's going to leave his wife one day. And this is actually perfect for me because I don't want commitment. And um, he, he's really lonely at home or she doesn't give him enough attention. She shoots him down and, and when he goes to the gym and, and makes fun of him, like I, I'm better for him because I boost his ego. Like they'll come up with what they want to hear. That does not make them any different from you or me, though, because don't we all have some sort of fantasy in our head that we play out every day? These people are not caricatures. They're real people that are also hurting in this situation as much as we hate to admit that they have emotions and that they have a stake in the game. What is it? What is it? Is it a stake in a game? I don't actually remember the phrase. They have a they're real people that hurt and are hurting too. And they matter. No matter how much you hate the fact that their choices have done this, if you can still love your spouse after they cheated, you can have some empathy for the other woman. Let's just remember that the people who cheat are the the rule, honestly, at this point. Stop looking at them as the exception from the rule in regards to relationships because they're that common. They're that common that they're the rule. It is just as much the rule as someone not cheating at this point. I, I would wager that it's probably less common to find a relationship where some sort of infidelity did not happen. Whether it was through breaking a communication boundary, breaking a physical boundary, an emotional boundary. I have a feeling that's happened everywhere. All right. And let's be very, very clear when I'm talking about ways to look at your marriage and like look at other people's affairs and try to look how to benefit your own marriage. People cheat even in the happiest, healthiest of marriages because it's not always because the marriage isn't working. It's not always because the person isn't happy. There are so many different varied reasons on why people cheat. I would recommend reading the book to hear them out by a professional and someone who has a lot of experience working with couples who have gone through affairs because my mind is now open. I have way more understanding that you can be happy with your spouse. You could be loving and joyful and sharing these great moments and still have an affair. No one is exempt. Let's just put it that way. So Let's talk about the phrase that, oh my God, I hate so much. Like this is the phrase, I, if I could like rip it out of the index that people use in regards to relationships is the phrase, once a cheater, always a cheater. And this was used against me when I had my ex cheat on me. Because spoiler alert, I did not want to end the relationship. I loved that man. And I felt like he loved me too. And I had this phrase thrown back into my face. He cheated once, he'll do it again. Once a cheater, always cheated. That's just what they are. They're just a cheater. Which is fucked up, considering how many people cheat on this world. We all would have the phrase cheater on us. <laughs> why, why, where are we taking a choice and turning it into a diagnosis why are we taking a choice and turning it into a disorder like it is some sort of like it's a part of their personality now like that's fucked up man no sometimes people cheat and some people do have a pattern of cheating but once a cheater always a cheater is like saying it's it's addictive to them like they have no choice it's a part of their their brain processing 
and that's false. I did at one point think about believing this and I think that's probably why my relationship ended up failing is because I was terrified he would cheat again. But now that I've read this book, I have a very grounded perspective on it. Everyone has the potential to cheat again, but it doesn't mean that they always will be. Okay. Most cheaters are good spouses. Most cheaters are good parents and they're humanitarians. They're kind people. They love animals. They're human beings just like the, all of the rest of us. And expecting someone to be either be a cheater or a perfect spouse is expecting perfection for something that cannot be achieved. It is unachievable. And thanks to Perel's research, she has found through her vast experience working with people who have gone through affairs that most people who have had affairs are one-time offenders. They only do it once. So your perspective of once a cheater, always a cheater isn't fair. They have potential to, they could, but if they have gone through that process of rebuilding their relationship and building in the gaps where something might have been either lacking in their therapy or lacking within their relationship, lacking wherever it was that caused them to have the affair or to make that decision, if you'd rather look at it that way, give it more of an an action feeling rather than something that happened to them, made the choice to have an affair. They usually don't ever do it again. Sometimes they're able to repair their marriages and sometimes they're not able to, but in general... Most of them are just one-time offenders. And that honestly, that should give you comfort. It gives me comfort to understand that like if I have a clear understanding of what is going on and why it happened, though it's going to be damaging. It's going to be harmful. Like I'm not going to come out unscathed if I find out my partner's cheating. I'm going to be as twitchy as the other (laughs) wives out there. But I feel like if I will have a more calm approach to understand that I can either see it as a pattern or I can see it as a choice. I could see it as a disorder or I could see it as a choice. And if I see it as a choice, I know that he can choose better. I know he can do better. I can provide that opportunity to him to do better. And again, this is actually another one of those narcissistic approaches to affairs that we take. What makes you think that you're better than them? This uh, Once a cheater, always a cheater, but I would never do that. Like you comparing them to yourself right now, I would never do that. My husband would never do that. That guy over there, yeah, he has just got the cheating disorder. Whereas me and my spouse, we would never. Get off your high horse, okay? What you're saying is, I'm better than them. I'm more perfect than them. Very narcissistic of you to think that. Because the truth of the matter is, you don't know yet what it would take for you to cheat. You don't know what would happen That would be the trigger that would make you cheat. There is something out there for everyone that would be the trigger for you to make that choice. Might want to figure out what that is. So if you're still feeling like my perspective on this is somehow letting them get away with murder, you're being too nice to them, they should feel guilty, they should be punished within an inch of their life for doing this to your relationship. Esther Perel actually recommends maybe you should switch that dialogue within your head switch that approach instead of looking at them getting away with anything instead look at it like i said earlier as providing an opportunity to give them the space to make amends to repair their relationship and to show up differently from that point on which i think is such a great 
freeing, loving approach to this, like that phrasing, instead of do better, she says, show up differently, be different, because maybe they weren't bad. They just made a choice. And showing up differently to the person that needs it most, I mean, wouldn't we all like that opportunity provided to us if we were ever in that situation? Wouldn't you love for your spouse to provide you that space? I would love it. And so I'm going to provide that for my spouse if they ever fuck up and in whatever way. Hopefully, I will be one of the fortunate ones who doesn't have to go through the harmful uh, repairing. But if it does, I know I can make it through because I've done it before. So my perception moving forward after affairs, um, honestly, I'm not going to change much from what I did when I was cheated on a couple years ago. Uh, you guys, uh, you guys want to hear that story? I bet you do. You guys love me. Love hearing my <laughs> my juicy gossip stories, right? All right. I think I think I could possibly uh, I have some mental health enough to dish this out. Okay, so I did not have the badass response. Let me start with that. Everyone wants to be the badass in the situation when you find out that your your boyfriend or your husband is cheating on you. You want to be that cool ass person that like slits the tires, sets the car on fire, or walks away with the explosion in the background. You want that moment, but that's not what I what I did. I had a way more compassionate approach. So let me set the scene for you. <laughs> Remember Preppy? I talked about him a few episodes ago. Yeah, it was Preppy, guys. He was like the best boyfriend I ever had. And looking back, I can pinpoint where things might have gone wrong on on my doing, but also on his doing that might have initiated a desire to cheat. But at that particular time, I was working really hard to take care of him and to be a good girlfriend. It was the day before Thanksgiving because he was leaving for a work trip on Thanksgiving. He was going to be driving. And so I wanted to surprise him with a Thanksgiving dinner before he left. So I was in the kitchen cooking, slaving away. I didn't actually make a turkey. It's like, I got that at the store. But like, I, I did something, right? I made him a Thanksgiving meal. And I said, you just play video games. You just relax. And it's so fucked up. He was like... <laughs> Looking back, as I was in the kitchen making Thanksgiving dinner and he put on his headset to play his video games, he said, baby, I love you. (laughs) Oh, do you, preppy? That's so fucking funny because know what you were doing the whole time I was cooking that Thanksgiving dinner for you? You were fucking talking to girls on Tinder and setting up dates throughout the rest of your time there. Yeah, from when I wasn't around you. So, so like... If I remember, let's back up. So it wasn't the next day, if I remember correctly. That was a Sunday. And then Thanksgiving was on Thursday. So there was a couple of days before he was leaving. And so those remaining days, he was talking to girls on Tinder and setting up dates for when I was going to be at work. Yeah. And then when I got off work, I was going to spend all the remainder of my time with him because he was going to be gone a long time. (laughs) I was trying to make the most of our time together, right? What a fucking imbecile. Damn. But yeah, like he would go into the bathroom and he would text. And I got this really weird text message from my roommate. And she said, hey, are you still at Preppy's? And I was like, yeah, 
um, why do you need something? And at that time she was kind of in a rough patch with her boyfriend. And I think they were kind of on the off, on the on and off again of the relationship. So I thought she, maybe she needed a friend to like confide in. Right. And she was like, no, no, no. I just need to talk to you about something when you get back. And I was like, okay. Um, I have a weird interaction with Preppy after dinner. I like tried to come on to him and he rejected me and I got really upset because it was not normal for him to do that. And I felt something. You guys, I felt it. I didn't know what it was at the time, but I knew. And I started crying and I was like, why are you being so weird? And he was just like, I don't know. I just don't really feel like doing that right now. And like he drove me back to my place and he had this whole conversation. He was like, I love you and I believe in you, blah, blah, blah. I go into my my uh, my room and my roommate's waiting there. She says, hey, come here. Let me talk to you about something. And so I go over to her side and I was like, hey, what's up? And she says, are you and Preppy in an open relationship? And I was like, hold up, what? No, we are definitely not in an open relationship. Funny. Because I just matched with him on Tinder and I've been talking to him all day. I saw red. I just saw red. I took her phone. I saw some of the conversation. She's like, yeah, he's been trying to set up a date with me um, for like a couple of days during lunch. And like I asked what he was doing on Tinder and he said that, you know, he was just looking for friendship and maybe something a little bit more. <laughs> so I get on the phone and I call his ass back. I said, prep, you get your ass over here. You come right back right this fucking second. And I don't know if he like thought he was like going to get away with it or something because like he turned around, but he was like, oh my God, what's wrong? <laughs> okay, I'm coming. I swear. And I was just like, I hung up the phone. I took my roommate's phone. I walked out to the parking lot and I was like, you're fucking cheating on me. And I started sobbing and his face, like he, he was caught, like he, he gave a face of, oh, fuck, it happened. And I, I wonder if he expected me to know because his face wasn't, oh, fuck, I've been caught. It was like, it happened. It finally happened. And I just started crying and I was like, I can't believe this about you, Preppy. This isn't you. You don't do this shit. This isn't how you act. And I sat on the ground and I was like, I just kept saying, I don't believe it. I can't believe this. Now, there's gaps in this night in my memory. I honestly feel like um, some of the trauma in my life has erased a lot of shit. So there's parts of this conversation I literally have no memory of happening. But I do remember just turning to him and I said, I feel so bad for you that you felt like you needed to do this. Like, my why and I hugged him and I was like this is not you I think he said at one point that he wanted to provide me an out because he he was feeling like you know it was going to be really hard for us and he wanted to give me a reason to leave like he had bad experiences relations before and he just wanted to like I guess self-fulfilling prophecy, self-sabotaging prophecy of me seeing him as a shit person. I didn't, though. And though I was hurt, I was absolutely hurt by it. I didn't break up with him. And he said he would be better and that he would do better, that he would provide full clarity, like like be open with me. And I know I asked how many girls... 
and for how long? No, I said how long? And he said a couple of weeks, which I honestly don't know if that's true. I did, yeah, I did ask how many girls. He said just a few. But I did not ask to see his Tinder. I asked him to delete it. And I trusted him to do that. I gave him trust immediately. Not full trust, but my reaction was, this is how we're going to move forward. Imagine if I had an unhealthy reaction. (laughs) How fucking explosive that could have been. At times, I do kind of wish I had looked at his Tinder and seen how many girls he had like matched with. How frequently he was talking to them to see how far back it actually went. Was it just a couple of weeks or was it the whole time we were dating? Like, I don't, I don't to, to say, I don't know how many and I don't know when it started. I just trusted what he said. But from that moment on, because I didn't break up with him, that's when the shame started. That's when people started shaming me and saying things like my roommate, who God bless her because she was the reason that I found out she's an, she's a great spy like she, she will find your man if he is cheating, like she'll know. But because of her past trauma, she kind of projected that onto me and was saying, you know, once a cheater, always a cheater. I just hope that he doesn't do it again because I think he will. And I just, I hope he doesn't, but I think he's going to do it. I mean, you guys aren't together right now. You know, he's in a different state from you right now. Like, how are you going to know if he does? And like that seed in my mind took away so much of the security I was trying to build with Preppy. And I felt like I couldn't even tell certain people in my relationships because I felt like they would shame me for staying in their relationship. Isn't that crazy? Esther Perel actually talks about this. This is the new shame in our society. We used to shame people for leaving. You got a divorce that was shameful. Now, if you stay when someone cheats, now if you stay and give them the benefit of the doubt and try to help them through and build your relationship back up from this process, that's shameful now. And I felt it. I knew if I told people, they would look at me like, wow, you weak ass bitch. You kept him? Wow, that's shameful. So I still suffered from that, but I did everything I could to try to see from him. I set requirements of what I needed to feel safe. And I tried to give him trust. Hmm. And had I not listened to the shame coming at me and instead got asked, honestly, probably should have gone to couples therapy, like right off the bat with that. Like if he was really serious (laughs) about me, which I don't know if he was like he said that he was. I don't know. I have no proof because I'm not his I'm not in in his body. He's not a carbon copy of me. He's a different human being. I will never fully know what's in my partner's head. I can never predict what their game plan is because if they don't communicate it, you'll never know. And he didn't communicate a lot of things. So I think that poison of allowing other people's shame and other people's doubt into my relationship was kind of the catalyst for why it collapsed. It didn't help the fact that we were immediately long distance right after that. Definitely did not help us repair anything. But had we gone to couples therapy, had we truly on both sides tried to rebuild, because I think he kind of gave up after a while, which is why we ended up breaking up, was I felt completely distant and neglected from him. And I didn't trust that he was not going to cheat on me again. And he just couldn't mentally be in that 
state of mind after a while. It just had to end. Um, Had we done things differently, I think we would still be together today. But we're not. (laughs) That's not reality. I don't dwell on it. What I do think about is how proud I am that even without reading this book, without trying, that I had a very healthy response to finding that out, a very empathetic response and realizing that he didn't do it to me, if that makes sense. He made a choice for his own life that deeply hurt and affected me, but he didn't do it to me. And I knew he was better than that. And I hope to this day he is better. So Preppy, if you're out there, I wish you all the best, but I also kind of wish that you had done me better and treated me better towards the end. Regardless, it is what it is, brah. All right, so I'm going to cut that off because I'm going to get into some sort of a negative headspace if I don't right now. And we're going to pick this back up. We're going to start talking about things that have to do with spooky season because I think it would be really fun to do kind of like a spooky season Halloween series, but with a twist stuff that I like to talk about during spooky season. So look forward to that. I love you guys. Be kind to yourself. If you ever find yourself in a situation where you're dealing with infidelity in any way, there is hope, there is a path, and you don't have to feel ashamed about your choices. Okay. I love you. Goodbye. (laughs) 